welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. So we're starting a new series and it's called More Than a Name. All right, More Than a Name. We're discovering God's names in the Bible and the scripture to understand his nature. And each week we're going to examine a different name, a different title that's attributed to God. And as we take a closer look at these names, we'll understand that it's so much more than just simply a name. They are, in fact, a description of his very being, his nature, and in some cases, the promises that he will do in and through each and every one of us this morning and in our lives going forward. So get ready. All right. Put your seatbelt on. Buckle in. Get ready for some real spiritual movement of God with this series. And we're going to start just... A little bit about names, all right? Hands up. How many people have got a name? Okay, right. Audience participation. Hands up how many people have got a name? Half of you have got no name. Okay. How on earth do you manage to survive in life? Uh, You go to Starbucks. What name is it? No name. Okay, interesting. But I've been looking at a few names and looking at some of the meanings because obviously... Names have meanings, and that's the whole point of this series, to look into it. But um, did you know that uh, Justin, all right, the meaning of Justin is just, upright, and righteous. Pamela's apparently is honey. (laughs) Easy. Bernie, a.k.a. Bernadette, is brave as a bear. Brave as a bear. Nigel. Uh, in, in the Irish, means champion. I don't know what he means in English, but in Irish, in, Ga- in Gaelic, it's champion. And um, Valda, if you don't know my wife's name, means, here we go, heroine of battle, spirited warrior, power rule. That's my wife, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and not to be left out, Simon means, wait for it, Obedient listener. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. You're all sat there wondering, if you just sit obediently listener to the uh, heroine of battle, well, yes, I do. But I'm confident in who I am. <laughs> but names are important in the Bible. They really are. And we're going to look at one particular name this morning. So turn in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles with you, or your YouVersion app. We're going to look at Exodus 17, verse 8. And it's titled, The Amalekites Defeated. So, reading from that. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had hoarded. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Interestingly enough, that's the first time steady appears in the Bible. There's just one little bit of knowledge for you this morning. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
because I will comp- write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up, up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So today we are looking at the Lord is my banner. And in Hebrew, it's Jehovah Nissi. All right, and you'll probably get to hear the word Jehovah a lot over these next few weeks. Jehovah Nissi. Now, to put a bit of context to this story, all right, you're probably thinking about two armies facing up against each other, the Israelites and the Amalekites, but it wasn't like that. All right, the Israelites, literally, uh, they didn't have an overwhelming force. They weren't experienced army. They didn't have the best experienced commanders or anything like that. They were farmers, herdsmen. They were basically escaping slavery in Egypt. They traveled with women, children, and herds and all their possessions. It was a slow and disorganized group. Their battle was simply for survival. But it was also the day to remember. For it was the day God first showed them as a nation that he fought for them. That he led them into battle. That he protected and that he conquered on their behalf. And that he was their banner. The question arises though, what does it mean for God to be our banner. Now, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner, literally means the Lord is with us through our battles, through our battles, and he conquers on our behalf. Now, does that mean that we can be lazy? Does that mean we can just leave it all to God? No. If he is with us, then it's a two-way thing. We have to do our part. So if we're to do our part, what does that actually look like? Well, the first point I want to mention is that what we do is that we don't retreat. We don't retreat and we keep moving towards him. Now, has anyone seen the film The Patriot? Oh, there's a few nods. There's a few shakes. If Nigel was in the room, he'd be like all over this. All right, he loves war films. But uh, it's basically a story of Mel Gibson. All right, well, not Mel Gibson. He plays the part of this character. But basically, it's a widowed farmer, ex-military, now a pacifist, all right, who is now being pulled back into war. And there's a clip I want to show you, all right, um, where towards the end of the film, at the end, towards the end, they're kind of losing the battle. And I want you to just watch what happens next. I love that film. But what I love about that, that particular scene, how uh, Mel Gibson literally, uh, he grabs hold of, the flag, but he also grabs hold of the guy with the flag first, pushes him out of the way, grabs hold of the flag, and then starts to run towards the battle. And what I love is how he's shouting, hold the line. So he has to stop first, and then start to face the direction of the battle. And then they start, you know, to turn and face the enemy, and then Mel literally is running and charging and charging towards him. But something deep inside wells up, and you see the banner and the flag, and it gives the army confidence. It ignites their faith to go and to again turn and run towards the battle. And not only run towards the battle, but break through the lines to victory. I think that's awesome. You know, and right back in history, the flag has always been a focal point for the army. In fact, very often a flag can be referred to as a standard. It's used as a rally call, as a staging point from which to charge the enemy. And when you charge, the flag is up front, it's always ahead. And if you were a soldier, you'd look to and follow that standard. 
And God is that standard. You know, in this chapter in Exodus 17, it shows that the people were to rally around God. And God, as, they, as an army, they rally around him. And God basically wants you to rally around him today and to run towards him. Because he is Jehovah Nissi. He goes before you. You know, in the time of Moses, the Israelites were in a real battle. It was ugly. It was bloody. It was a fight for survival against the Amalekites. And we know more about the battle thanks to Deuteronomy 25, where it talks about the Amalekites in a little bit more detail. And it basically says that the Israelites were weary, they were worn out, and the Amalekites attacked all who were lagging behind. And they had no fear of God, the Amalekites. So the Amalekites had no morals. They attacked the back. Where the spoils were, where the women, the children, the elderly were, they showed no mercy. The Israelite men would have had to have battled from the front right to the back to protect, defend, and then to strike back. You know, I am definitely uh, not a soldier. I am certainly not a warrior, and I have no real interest in fighting. My kids might be interested in boxing, UFC, you name it. My wife most definitely is, all right? But they'll stay up until all hours and watch it, and I'll go to bed. It's kind of role reversal in our house. I'm the obedient listener, as you all know. <laughs> but even I recognize that I am often in a fight, in a battle. That every day we all face battles. That is, in, in Exodus, we all have Amalekites that attack us. And they can be unprovoked. I mean, they can be without warning. They can catch you by surprise. They literally will try to rob you, hit you where you're vulnerable, and hit you where it hurts most. You know, an Amalekite isn't just your circumstances that you come against day in and day out. They are, in fact, uh, anything. I mean, anything or anyone that is getting in the way of you achieving your purpose for your God-given life. You know, that could be a mindset. It could be a, a value, a belief about yourself, an attitude towards someone. Anything that is getting in the way of your walk and your purpose with God. You know, the question is, is, are you under attack today? I mean, through your family, your job, your reputation, your health, your friends. Are you constantly being hit where you're vulnerable? I mean, you may have a gap in your armor that the enemy just seems to know where to get through to, to take you off track. I mean, do you feel you're getting robbed and hurt to the point that you've already started to retreat? I mean, how you see yourself, your self-esteem, has that been knocked? Has your confidence been knocked? Has it been shaken by your friends? I mean, in school and college and university, I mean, the pressure that your friends will put you under to conform, to often go against what you believe. I mean, are you retreating? I mean, this word is for you this morning. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is your banner. He wants to conquer any Amalekite that you are facing today. God wants you to know he goes before you, so don't retreat. Follow him and keep moving towards him. All right, my second point this morning, and it's not a pretty one. It's not a comfortable one. But struggles prepare you for your God-given purpose. Struggles prepare you for your God-given purpose. Now, I'm gonna watch, we're going to watch another clip. All right, it's a trailer this time. All right, hopefully you'll like this film. All right, this is the 1517 to Paris. Has anybody heard of it? A few of you, all right? I can guarantee by the end of this trailer, many of you will go home and probably watch it, all right? But what I want you to do is when you watch it, listen to the audio, 
All right, the audio is really important. All right, cue the video. It's a great film. I can highly recommend it to you. Um, but what I love about it is some of the words that the, uh, the audio says. Once you discover who you are, you really begin to discover how you've been given authority over your life. But you can only do that through the struggle of life. But most people avoid the struggle. Most people go through life avoiding pain. And then it ends with, but you've been chosen for this purpose. You know, this morning you've been chosen. Chosen for a specific purpose. Now in the film, it was a struggle throughout for the main character. And interestingly, maybe you didn't know this one, but the main characters aren't actors. They're the actual people that went through it. Which, when people complain about the acting and stuff like that, well, actually, this is just them reenacting what happened to them, which is amazing. But through that film, the main character, Anthony's life, had its challenges. Had its challenges and had its battles. But it was through those struggles that led to this moment on the train. And on that train, it all came together for them to fulfill part of their God-fulfilled purpose in life. But it was fulfilled because of the struggles. Fulfilled for the, through struggles. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, Only let each person lead the life that, Lord, that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Another version says this, Nevertheless, as the Lord has assigned to each, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And thus I prescribe in all the churches. Now, first of all, I love that God has assigned a life to each and every one of us. That our life is always alone. No one else can fulfill our purpose, our assignment, in quite the same way as we can. And secondly, that we, our assigned life, has been prescribed to the church. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the word prescribe, I automatically think of a doctor writing out a prescription with the knowledge that this is the remedy for part of the body to become healthy and function as it should. Now, thinking about that and relating that to our lives, I get, well, I really get humbled and overwhelmed by the fact that God assigns a life to us that he then prescribes as a remedy so that part of the church can function as it should through us. Now, maybe you don't feel it today, but the life that God has assigned for you is a God-given remedy for the health of his church to be able to function at its full potential. So don't ever think that you have nothing to offer, that you are not good enough, that you need to be more like somebody else when you know deep down that's not really you. You know, our granddaughter Julia is, uh, is three, and from an early age, she's loved jigsaws. And on Friday, we, were, we got a frozen two jigsaw, 30-piece jigsaw, and we were kind of working our way through that. And, and you'll have seen this yourself if you've got small children. Jigsaw pieces, what they tend to do is they just try and fit any jigsaw piece together, don't they? They'll just try and shove what's not meant to be together, together. They'll break that jigsaw piece, they'll snap it, they'll do all sorts of stuff just to make it work. And what's interesting now, Julia's developed, how she's moved from that to now looking at what fits. You know, each of us is a jigsaw piece of church. All right, even though we mature and some of us have rough edges and all that kind of stuff in a different shapes, our God-given assignment in this life fits perfectly into that jigsaw. You know, you see that we can have all the plans in the world about how our lives should 
map out. But God's plan is perfect. He knows what he's doing. You know, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, it's one that we're familiar with. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, we need to remember that even in those struggles, they're not there to harm us, but to prosper us. They prepare us for our God-given purpose. And it's even the easiest way is to kind of walk away from that. But Joshua, in Exodus 17, fought all day, battling from sunrise to sunset, probably around 10 hours, battling off wave after wave of attacks. Now, did he stop, take some time out, sit down, get his pat lunch out, and just relax and say, oh, it's fine, they've got it covered. I don't need to. I just want to take some time out for me. No, he didn't. He had to push through the struggle to complete his assignment. So the first point is this. Don't retreat. Keep moving towards him. Struggles prepare you for your God-given purpose. And the third thing is this. Victory is won through obedience and faithfulness. All right? Through obedience and faithfulness. You know, getting to the top of our mountain started with battling through a valley experience. I mean, you don't win when you slay the giant with a stone. You win when you turn up and you feed your brothers in the camp like David did. Joshua didn't win the battle and gain the victory at sunset when he chased away the last of the Amalekites. He won at sunrise when he obeyed Moses and went out to face the enemy. He won again when he carried on at midday. He won again when he obeyed and carried on in the afternoon. See, victory isn't just what you conquer in the future. True victory is honoring God, being faithful and obedient today. Small steps repeated daily. Jesus wasn't victorious, just victorious on the cross. He was victorious when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he overcame the devil, not just once, but three times. He was victorious in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, crying out, asking the Father to take this cup from me, when then saying, not mine, but your will be done. He was victorious then. He was obedient and faithful, not just at the end on the cross, but every day. Now, Jesus shows us, though, that it's okay to be honest with God and ask for the cup to be taken, to have those conversations. Why me, God? Why do I have to? Should I? To have those. God is not afraid of those conversations. But he also shows us that it's not only that, but it's when we reach a point of not my will, but your will be done, that we then can take one more significant step into our victory. Now, I get it. I get it that life is a struggle and that we all go through struggles and it isn't easy. Sometimes in life we get tired. Come on, let's be honest. How many people get tired? There are some nodding heads there. Absolutely. We get tired. And the question is, is what do we do when we get tired? We often withdraw. We pull away. And for me, there is nothing better, frankly, than to close the blinds, ignore the phone, email, social media, turn on the TV, and just ignore the world. And that's great for a night. That's even great for a weekend if you've had a busy week. Nothing wrong with that at all. But if that is your life, how can you fulfill your God-given assignment? It's not a coincidence that refidim in Exodus 17 means rest. And when the Israelites stopped, they were then attacked. You know, the good thing for us, and it might not seem that way, but Moses also got tired. Now, first of all, let's be clear. We can't all do it alone. We can't. Men, 
we love to think that, frankly, we are tough, we're impregnable, we're fireproof, we're bulletproof, stiff upper lip, nothing gets past me, I'm fine, keep going, all that kind of stuff. But actually, we all need somebody. We all need an Aaron and a her to hold us up. I mean, the last few years, and I'm probably one of the best ones at kind of trying to keep cool and the unblemished kind of like facade. All right, but these last few years, I have definitely got people around me that I've been able to rely on, that I've been able to hold my arms up and hold me to account and all that kind of stuff. And we need to understand that even Moses needed an Aaron and her. Now, if Moses did, how much more do we need? Others around us in community. We should be pushing into church and getting our Aaron and her to help carry and lift the Lord. But how many of us suffer in silence, just bottle it all up, close the blinds and ignore the world? You know, when you want to quit, don't stop. Get around an Aaron and her. But take note, Aaron and her were Moses' brothers. One was his brother, one was his brother-in-law. They were family. They were, in other words, in relationship with Moses. Now, that takes time. You have to invest. You have to be honest. You have to be real. You have to be regular. You have to be vulnerable. And then you build with them. You also need to understand that besides the fact that you need to have an Aaron and her, that it swings the other way too. That you are also an Aaron and her to someone else. And if you're not, you're robbing somebody else. And we need to realize that this morning. Because it's not about you, it's about them. So who is your Aaron and her? And who are you an Aaron and her to? So victory is being faithful and obedient today. And I just want to finish with one kind of final thought that I've learned over the years. Now, so often you can feel in your heart and desire in your soul, but what you see day to day can be different. You know, when you're in your battles or struggles of your purpose and you want to retreat, but you're trying to keep moving forward, you're trying to be faithful and obedient to God, sometimes it's not easy and you can lose hope. You can become fearful and think you're losing the battle. But in Exodus 17... When were they losing the battle? It was when they focused on the valley and took their eyes off the mountain. It was when Moses stopped interceding with God in prayer and worship. We spend more time focusing on the fight than on appealing on the hill. You know, it's easy to do this as you're fighting for your purpose, your assignment. But as Moses showed, it's what you do up there that will in fact determine what you do down here. Don't spend more time focusing on the things you're fighting than the God you are serving. Don't be surprised if the battle doesn't go your way if you're just looking at the battle. You know, it's obvious, but if that's all you look at, that's all you're going to see. But if you look to God, you will see God in it, through it, and with you. You know, we need to understand the spiritual determines the physical. The spiritual handles the physical. Everything visible and physical is handled by the invisible and spiritual. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says this, You are seated in heavenly places. You battle on earth, but you battle from heaven. You know, it can seem that the victory is hidden. It's out of sight, but it's still there. You need to hear that this morning that the victory is here if you battle on earth, but from heaven. If the worship team wants to come up. Now, the Patriot clip at the end uh, that we just watched before, 
Did you notice something about the army when it charged? When it turned around, it started to charge towards the enemy. Did you notice how they started to raise their voices? How the volume got louder? As it started to charge, there's more and more noise as it got nearer and nearer. Why do people do that in war and battles? It's to put the fear into the enemy. How much more should our worship, our praise, put fear into the enemy this morning? As the song said this morning, we need to raise a hallelujah. We need to raise it like a banner, raise it like a flag. We all have a song in our heart that only we can sing. You know, and when we worship this morning from earth to heaven, and when we worship from heaven to earth, we need to understand we're connecting with God. You know, in the book of Joshua, the Israelites were, confront, uh, sorry, were confronted by the wall of Jericho. And God instructed them to do a lot of different things for over six days. But on the seventh day, they moved around the wall seven times. And on the seventh, they shouted praise and the wall came down. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, it says, Paul and Silas were thrown into jail, but their worship set them free. Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah in the Old Testament and a coalition of armies came against them to defeat them. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. And in that moment, he did what any great leader should do. He called them to pray and fast. And during this prayer time, God gave the battle plans and assured them that they wouldn't need to fight because God would go before them and defeat the enemy, Jehovah Nissi. Early in the morning, they began to prepare and Jehoshaphat did something very odd. Ahead of the army marched worshippers who sang and praised God. And in 2 Chronicles 20, it says this, When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judea. So they were defeated. Now, I get that we all have struggles. I get that we can become tired and weary of never seeing a change in something that we're hoping and believing for. Now, my youngest has serious mental health challenges. I say youngest, he is 24. He can't be classed as difficult or a challenging child anymore. He's an adult. But he's an adult with a mind often of a child that often leaves us feeling hopeless. And we have had years of this struggle with no victory in sight. And we go from one valley to another, from one crisis point to another with a few gaps. But this last year has been, has been the worst by far. His reactions, his paranoia, his debts, his behaviors can be completely out of control. And the run-up to Christmas and the holidays was especially bad. In those situations, you can feel hopeless. You can think there is no end. You think, is this it? Why? Because the world, the systems, the agencies cannot help. There is no pill, no therapy, no support group that can change how his brain and impulses work without losing who he is. You live in fear. And it's easy to say, where's the victory in that? Come on, God, how long? But you know, I really don't know where I would have been without God. At all times and in those times, all I have had is 
Jehovah Nissi. He has gone before me into battle countless times, countless times. And all we could do and have done is battle from heaven. Jehovah Nissi is all I need. And I stand on the promise that he conquers on our behalf this morning. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.